Blog Talk Radio. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, You guys want to start the show? Let's start the show. Everybody, welcome to Saturday Morning Serial. It's me, Dan Grimshay, who uh, you should know by now. I'm always here to guide you through this world of this this pop culture, which not only did we grow up with, but also has grown up with us. Uh, and of course, you should. If you knew I was going to be here, you must be expecting uh, Marquis' voice right about now. But first, I'm going to throw it to Jimmy the Gent instead. Jimmy, how are you? Greetings, citizens of Gotham. I'm fabulous. How are you, Daniel? Oh, I'm wonderful. I really appreciate you asking that. All right, let's open the door and get Marquee out here on the Skype machine. Hey, thanks for having me. Always always fun when you can find the time. Uh, all right, but before we get going, uh, and and boy, are we going to get going. What a show we've got. Uh, in fact, just so you know, we are going to be talking to our old friend Miles Doliak, uh, who we talked to a few years ago about his uh, his his horror movie uh, at at the time, and now we're talking to him about another horror movie called The Dinner Party. We've got our conversation with them coming up, uh, and and then as you know, as we do on this show, we're going to make you wait for that. We're going to discuss <laughs> other things first, uh, and uh, you know, here on the show, we always try to be kind of timeless. You know, we're talking about quite often some movie or show or or special or album that is just coming out. So it's it's topical that way. But no, we want you, if you're in our generation, to be able to listen to any episode at any time and say, "Oh, I get that. That's relevant to me." Uh, but in the meantime, of course, it should be noted that uh, we cannot be timeless in our production. We are still doing it uh, under the quarantine method, social distanced. Miles apart from each other, uh, though I, I do really quickly want to let you know, you boys know you're close to me in heart. Yeah, I've never felt closer at all. This is good, I Jimmy. I need confirmation from you too. I'm feeling fragile. Well, it's times like this that bring us together, right, Dan? Hey, I like it. Nice empty patter. Uh, so, so anyway, if we're acknowledging that, let's just go ahead and say we need like a nice, easy cream puff feel good episode. It's funny that you said cream puff too, because that's a food. That is. Why is it funny that Mark E called that funny? Because we're going to talk about food. Speaking of food, we figured <laughs> why not? Our our, our not? damn our damn show name is 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 a food. Yeah. Let's start with that. And then we'll end, we'll end with a dinner party. All right. That sounds great. I love it. So, okay, obviously, we kick it off. Cereal you loved as a kid. We've we've covered lots of them 
over the years. We can do a quick recap, though. Uh, Marky, you're number one. Don't think, just answer. Go. Fruity Pebbles. Fruity Pebbles. Uh, I'm, I'm, I want the same treatment from you, Jimmy. Your favorite. Don't think. Fruit root. <laughs> nice. I, I'm going uh, 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 Frosted Flakes. Oh, good I think we all that, understand that there were plenty of other cereals we would have eaten. Mm-hmm. But just if your mom said, oh, shoot, I forgot the cereal. Quick, go run and get it or I'm leaving you in the grocery store. The, the one box you're going to grab. For me, it would be Frosted Flakes. Yeah. Now, let's talk about milk philosophy. Uh-huh. I don't think we've ever covered that. I don't know how you guys eat cereal. If you sit down with an empty bowl, a spoon, some milk, the box, and say, I will have one unit cereal today. And you make the perfect combo, finish it, and then you've got a dry bowl that you wash and put away. I don't do that. You like clout. I'm emotional. I start with the cereal, toss that in there. I don't want to fill it up because I like a lot of milk. I'm a high milk to cereal ratio guy. Okay. But then... I'm not quite sure how much to milk. I pretty much every time I put too much in. Doesn't affect because you can still eat the cereal fine, just that now I've got a quarter of a cup of milk left over. <laughs> Some more cereal is going to have to go in there. But, of course, I overshot the cereal. I don't know how many units of cereal I eat every sit-down. So you guarantee just kind of, it's more than whatever the, the... You just recycle the milk. Yeah. I keep Well, and then eventually I've got too much cereal in there. And I'm like, well, shoot, now i got to put more milk in. It's a vicious cycle. <laughs> it is. I mean, each time it's slightly less than I did the time before, and eventually I've got a dry bowl. And I'm usually somewhat physically ill. And now it's noon. And it's noon. Yes. <laughs> and it's noon, <laughs> and it's time for the third trip to the toilet, <laughs> which is why i got to watch those brands. Uh, do you? So are you guys like that? Do you do the strict... One bowl of total, so you know what you're getting, or do you have another style? Dan, thanks for the pass-off. Well, what I like to do is pretty similar to you. I don't really go in there with what you would call a plan. Like, whatever it is, if the unit is, let's say the unit is the bowl, right? If that's what you're talking about, whether it's a bowl, a mug, uh, a bucket. Yeah, that's another question you got to answer. Okay. Do you go by what's on the box, or do you call this soup bowl your cereal bowl? I try to judge it. Like, I want to avoid that whole day-long uh, process that you go through, and I try to judge it. So I'm just getting about a pretty equal ratio of cereal to milk, whereas I don't have too much left over at the end, and I, or maybe I don't even have to add too much. You know what I mean? Because that's, that's a whole other trip to the kitchen. And, uh, well, so you know, you're pretty DVD. good about getting your milk and cereal levels right on. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like I gauge it. Like I can, you know, I'm, that's what I'm going for. I don't just haphazardly, uh, like a monkey in Thailand, throwing cereal all over the place and try to catch them in a bowl and then spill <laughs> milk everywhere. You know, I, I, I go in there with like some force. Swedish off. chef style. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> I, don't, I don't know why the monkey was in Thailand, by the way. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what they feed like the monkeys, the cereal. <laughs> what about you, Marky? Uh, well, I just want to say this, that anybody that does the milk first is a demon from hell and should be shunned. So (laughs) for all of you listeners out there that, uh, pour the milk in the bowl and then the cereal, I think you should be shot. 
It's a um, trademark marquee inclusion. Yeah, I just wanted to put that out there just to eliminate that as, <laughs> uh, you know, you're not welcomed here. But right. are, do you have a problem with me adding uh, yeah, okay. cereal to my second generation milk? Well, see, that's kind of that's what kind of made me think of it is that you are teetering into that realm, but you do have so all of little, the best intentions. There's you're, a little gray area. Yeah, little, you're, you're, yeah, you're just trying to work with what you got. At um, no point yeah. do I pour milk into an empty bowl. Right. So I that's feel where, like I sh- that's a, an important distinction. If you should find yourself with a bowl of milk, by all means, put cereal in it to enjoy the bowl of milk. Okay, that's, good, because that's, that's where I am. Yeah, and I think that's where I'm going to draw the line. Does anybody uh, pour the milk first? Is that a thing? Do yeah, people do, people do that. Oh, that's like, yes. It's it's with, weird. With all the that's going on in the world right now, can't we just agree on that? That's insanity. That yes, I think I think we should uh, just make that decision now. But do you um, think there are I, cereals where it wouldn't matter? Because I think if you if you're talking like grape like nut? fruity pebble fruity pebbles, you put milk in and then you pour fruity pebbles, you're going to have just a bunch of dry fruity pebbles floating floating on the top. Yeah. Right, right. But if right, you do yeah. it with like I want to say like Captain Crunch, that's that's got some oomph to it. I think that might sink on its own. I don't know. Those are like those are literally little barrels. <laughs> They're going to float. Well, no, there's plenty of little barrels at the bottom of the sea. Well, um, look, uh, (laughs) if you were to look at the other end of that, like think of like your um, uh, mini wheats, those big hunkin' things of mini wheats. Like if you let that come out of a cereal box into a bowl of milk, it's going to you're going to get milk all over the place. Oh, yeah. Splash all over. There's a there's that water dispensation theory kind of stuff going on there. So, yeah, yeah I'm just – You're right. Against... Something like that, you need like a deep fryer basket. Yeah. Ease it in. Yeah. I'm with you there. That's displacement yeah. issue. That's physics. That's water. Well, yeah. um, but I, I am definitely – like I don't like, you know, the – the way that you described your cereal eating is that I kind of picture you with, like, at the table, the box of cereal is right there, and the milk is right there while you're eating. Yes. Am I, okay, the, the, right. With my style, they have to remain there and open. Okay. See, so to me, I don't like to leave, my, to leave the milk out because that, you know, it's going to hasten its spoilage. So, and I don't like to leave the cereal. Bringing it back to physics. So... <laughs> Um, it's I, debatable, but we won't go there yet. But all right, I want to hear what you're doing. Yeah, so my cereal ritual goes even back to the way the cereal is stored. Um, as soon as the cereal box is opened, I decanter. I put them into jars. I put. I pour all the cereal into a jar, and the box and the paper that it's in is thrown away. Oh, and Jesus, you're one of those. I learned it from my grandma. But we your grandma go- was probably buying the big giant garbage bag, you know, generic stuff on the bottom <laughs> shelf. You have to when you buy that. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I think. Uh, grandma had Captain Crunch and Frosted Flakes. I think were her cereals. Um, no, she us. had like Lieutenant Little Bites <laughs> and Chuckle yeah. McCrux or, or or whatever it was. But. That's how I do it. So I do one bowl at a time. I do sometimes go make myself another bowl, but I'm not playing games. You know, I it's it's the bowl, and it's usually a big bowl. You know, I like a big bowl of cereal. And also, my cereal eating is almost, it's probably 90% done at night nowadays. 
I eat cereal at night. It's very rare that I eat it in the morning. Yeah, I would very- say the, the morning is, is a minority time slot for my cereal. Yeah. Yeah, but it's I really I I eat cereal probably five times a week. I, mean, I just I love that stuff. Well, it sounds like uh, when when I eat cereal, I consider every single item just a tool involved in a process. But I've noticed you guys are good at identifying. I'm having a bowl of cereal. In my yeah. mind, I'm like I'm going to go into cereal mode for a bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like a whole mechanism. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, when well, I've got an empty bowl, then I know I'm done. It just takes a while to get there. All right, well, now, before we move away from cereal and get to brunch foods, I do want to share this story with you, which I haven't told a lot of people, and I I haven't even tried it again in the in the years since I experienced it, but I really kind of want to. This was a few years back when I was in Spain, and uh, I was doing a pilgrimage with uh, my dad, a bunch of older people, and usually you got to stay in some dirty little, uh, like a hostel type thing. But they had money, so sometimes after a hard day, we they treat us to like a hotel, where you get a apparently a true continental breakfast in continental Europe. The only and there was plenty of cereal. It was basic, just like any continental breakfast. But the only milk they had to go with any of their cereal was hot milk, which is really designed for the coffee. But they're only putting one milk out, and it's hot. And the first time, I was like, ooh, well, I'm not going to do that. Second time, I was like, well, I want some cereal. Ooh, this is pretty good. Yeah, it's actually sweeter. And then, oh, wow. I was, yeah. the next two times, I just had three or four bowls. Because, you know, in public, well, I can't do my ritual, so I had to commit like that. But, ooh, cornflakes with hot milk? I want to do that again. Oh, yeah, that's that sounds great to me. Yeah. I mean, well, and I actually like to pour milk into a uh, oatmeal too, right? So the oatmeal's piping hot and you kind of bring it down to like um to like a a edible temperature by pouring milk on it. And you get that's that's how I like to eat my hot cereal is with cold milk. You usually get that nice little balance in there. That's some good comfort food right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but before I forget um, about the continental breakfast thing, mm-hmm. uh, I do a lot of traveling and uh, there's I usually stay like in the hotels that do like the free continental breakfast and all that. Mm-hmm. And I attack the cereal. You know, they have those little single serve boxes of cereal. Yeah. And um, what I have learned um, and I'd learned it fairly, fairly recently was. I was taking I was kind of going through like my same little ritual where I would take the bag out. I would open the bag and dump all the content. Do you have a a travel Tupperware that you bring out to temporarily (laughs) decant? Well, but when I was doing this, um, uh, when I was doing this, I noticed that the cereal box of the single serving cereal boxes, it has a tight lining all throughout. Like, so if you were like to look at it. I'm like, this is a freaking bowl. And I just, and that at that moment, I just poured the cereal back into the box and I poured the milk into the box and I was just eating it out of that. And as it turns out, I did a little bit of research. That is exactly what they're made for. The, the, those little cereal boxes are actually designed to be bowls that will hold milk. So yeah, everybody. that's the way I always used to eat those as a kid. Is they they even have little perforations in them so you can open them up Do and that use them like, and then and then the bags actually have you can 
tear open. So the bag is supposed to tear open as well as the box, and you just leave the whole thing in there and, and use it as a little bowl. I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know about a spoon, but that's the way we did it as kids. I never knew it, and I was just like, huh, I'm like a, you know, I'm like 40 years old figuring this yeah. out. Hot <laughs> damn, life yeah. hacks. It was great. Yeah, it was awesome. Well, there we uh, go. Now that's a, that's a good worthwhile deep dive into cereal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you at home, I hope this conversation continues with you because I've learned a lot about these two guys. Uh, let's move on through through the day. Uh, next meal, I, lunch is kind of a free for all to me. I don't know about you guys, but I am no set time or or what I can and can't have for lunch. I guess to be honest, uh, as an adult, I do breakfast for dinner far more often than. Mm-hmm. I ever did growing up. So maybe it doesn't matter to me at all, but I like lunch for a good, that's, that's when I like my comfort food. Mm-hmm. And with this quarantine going on and everybody stuck in the house, needing comfort and needing to make their own food. I think there's been an explosion, a real new exploration of comfort yeah. food. There's been some like a creative food explosion. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Largely without yeast now, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's all right. You amateur bakers, you you didn't have what it took anyway. Uh, but but uh, comfort food can mean like everyone can say, oh, grilled cheese. That's a comfort food. But it, uh, I think everybody also has their own deep bench. Marky, you mentioned uh, like a uh, oatmeal being a comfort food. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll accept that before I accept it as a cereal. By the way. Even though it is, I guess, the only hot cereal that exists. Yeah, I. It's quite literally a cereal. Well, only they they lobbied for that. <laughs> go ahead, go on. Uh, but what what else do you consider a comfort food? Um, a lunchtime comfort food. Um, I'll never I'll never forget this. I was, I had just graduated high school. We took a senior trip to Cancun. I partied my ass off. But on the last night, I got Montezuma's Revenge, and it was brutal. Yeah. Like, it was, it was coming out of me by on both ends, and it was violent. Oh, my. I couldn't keep anything down. I was sick as a dog. I stayed in the hotel while, you know, the, the rest of the class was just kind of having one last blowout. They were all having a great time. And I was there by myself. I wanted to eat something. And the only thing on the the room service menu that looked good to me, which I never had before, was tomato soup. And the, and the other thing that looked fantastic was grilled cheese. Wait, you had never had tomato soup? Never had tomato soup. There was something about it that just kind of freaked me out, I guess. I just thought I was like, that's going to be way too uh, tangy, you know? You know um, what? I'm not a fan. I agree with you. But I think yeah. I had at least tried it by then. Yeah. So I ended up ordering this. Oh, and I was a like, great way up. to find a food, though. That's awesome. Yeah. And it was the most amazing dinner <laughs> of my life. It was incredible. I was like, oh my, I kept it down. It, 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 the, the acidity ratio of the, of all of that stuff was all perfect. And ever since then, I think of a grilled cheese more specifically, but also paired with tomato soup as the ultimate comfort food. It, it nursed me back from the verge of death once a long time ago, 
And I, I will always think about that. And so now, you know, if I want yeah, like that's, a, that's like hardwired in your neurons. Yeah. yeah, It's in there. And I make grilled cheeses all the time, you know, um, or some kind of like melt, you know, uh, of like, if there's like leftover chicken in the fridge, I'll throw that onto like the, um, uh, those little tabletop toasters, you know, the little ovens. I don't know what you call them. Toaster oven. Yeah, a little toaster oven, yeah. and I just put them in their open case. And don't, let him, don't stop the 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 transition here, Jimmy. He was on it. Oh, I saw it. Yeah, yeah, there. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> what do you call them? Uh, yeah, I put it inside uh, of that uh, firebox. You know what I'm talking about? The boom boom hiss. I'm just a simple medical supply salesman. From... <laughs> All right. So, so yeah, you toaster so, oven anyway, up this chicken right. mess. I do. Uh, I do. I'm very creative with my grilled cheeses. You know, like I'll, I put different stuff in it. I'll, but you know, the the best grilled cheese in the world is Wonder Bread white bread, Velveeta, and real butter. That's the ultimate grilled cheese. To me, that that right. is, that's a description of of young Americana comfort <laughs> food. Uh, yeah. I love that you stumbled across it because grilled cheese with tomato soup. If we were playing like Family Feud, that would easily be the number one answer. You think but so? You stumbled across it hungover yeah. on spring break in Mexico with a sickness with uh, E. coli. Basically. Well, that's and uh, I think everybody's favorite comfort food. They have one memory of that being the first thing they can keep down. I mean, Jello and just plain buttered toast are always going to mean something to me because I remember as a child thinking, oh, wait, I could die and this could be the day. I know I need to, oh, oh, I can eat this as I'm keeping this down. Yeah. Well, um, you know what, Shay, I think um, we've, we have never talked about this and I could be breaking some like HIPAA compliance rules or something. But I think we should talk about your food medical condition because this is a unique thing. I don't even think Jimmy's even aware of it. Uh, but Shay is a super taster. Yeah, yeah. And I, feel, that, I feel like you could have said a superpower over food medical condition. Right, right, right. <laughs> Would have landed a little better for me. But, yeah, we can, we can tackle it from any angle. But then, so, Dan, what's your superpower? I can taste. <laughs> and honestly, it is a super drag. It is a, it yeah. is a real weakness. Can you describe it? Uh, well, I mean, to me, it's normal, and I just don't know why everyone is eating all this fucking food that is that is trying to kill you. As far as you know, <laughs> like the physiology in my mouth goes, I guess it's a it's essentially just uh, for some reason I have an overproduction of taste buds. So the stimulus of normal flavor levels of food just hits me real hard, uh, which means there's a lot of stuff I just can't eat. I basically spent most of my formative years trying to order off children's menus. <laughs> Cheese. <laughs> Macaroni. <laughs> like, and nothing like a Swiss. Come on. Uh, it's, yes, it's taken years and years and work, and uh, and and I'm not gonna lie. I think being a heavy smoker has helped me a lot. Where I can I can pretty much walk into almost any restaurant and order something, because it all and be able like to sugar. eat it without like gagging and involuntarily you know having to throw up or. 
But, I, yeah, I've been on dates where, man, this thing kicks off and, you know, I basically start to choke and I'm just trying to play it off. Uh, <laughs> you know, a, a real Clark Kent problems. Ah, uh, I see. So, yeah, life as a super taster is rough. And uh, any kids out there, if you've got it, don't don't sweat it. I know people are going to keep trying to make you eat stuff that uh, is going to make you want to throw up. Uh, I mean, every kid goes through that, but it's probably going to be every meal for you. Just start smoking cigarettes. <laughs> well, I'm going to list them five so foods, good. Or I'm going to list cold five foods that I think you can eat. Okay, ready? I'm going to try to hit five. Go for it. All right. Onions. Onions, yes. I think you can eat onions. I can. That took a long I, time, but I can. Yeah. I know you can eat all kinds of bread. All bread. Oh, yeah. It's all well. Yeah, I yeah, got as no long problem as with gluten. Yeah, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. I think you're good with bread. Uh, we've already mentioned uh, cheese, but we should just go ahead and put dairy products into it. So cheese and milk. Yeah, dairy products uh, are very cheese. mild. Yeah. yeah. Um, where do you sit on sour cream? It's fine, right? Sour cream is fine. I mean, But uh, nobody, like, says, ooh, I'm craving a bowl of sour cream. <laughs> but, yeah, I can drag a French fry through it and be like, well, that was an interesting experience. <laughs> okay, French fry. But, fries. yeah, it's, it's definitely not such a flavor that it makes me gag. So we should just say... Um, so you're very lactose tolerant. Oh, yes. Yeah. I have nothing but love for lactose, gluten, carbs. <laughs> like none, I have no digestive issues whatsoever. Although, I... Yeah. Honestly, full disclosure, I think being so late in the game to eating onions on a regular basis, I do have a little trouble with those in the mornings. Nothing major, but I have a feeling if, you know, as a child I'd start developing those enzymes, I'd be just fine with them. Well, and I'm I'm here struggling to find a couple more things, but it's all like a gluten related because I was going to say pasta, but that's basically a bread. Yeah, I can't do it with a tomato sauce, but uh, you're right. But yeah, you could do it with like any white sauce. You could do it with any kind of butter or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I don't know well, if I hit five, but that's a that's a little window into what a super taster is. Yeah. Uh, tomatoes make you puke, right? You hate yes. that. Tomatoes are like eating pennies to me. <laughs> it is just metal, copper. And also, every time I try and eat like a slice of pizza or something. Which, if I struggle, I can do. But then for, like, two days later, I find I'm just biting my tongue, oh. like, on the edges. So I have a feeling I also have a slight allergy oh, to wow. tomatoes. Wow. And I hate them enough to just not really explore that much further. That's crazy. All right. So, so yeah, most of my diet is comfort food. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Jimmy, what about you for lunch? Uh, for lunch, uh, I like a nice uh, MLT. That's a, that's a mutton, mutton lettuce. Very and lean. <laughs> nice and lean. <laughs> I was like, I'm trying to remember where that's from, and now I. It's just, that's uh, well, no, I like. Uh, there's a place down the road these days. If I'm eating lunch, and by lunch I really mean kind of like, I don't know if we go by time, you know, because if I wake up at noon, I'm still, you know. I'm not having cereal at noon, so I'll have that sandwich or, uh, you know, so that that puts off dinner to be pretty much just the second meal of the day, whether, you know, wh- whatever time it is. So, well, but to me, for there's lunch, daylight meal and nighttime meal. So where sure. do you have your daytime meal? What where? Like? Uh, well, yeah, I like a nice, uh, I usually like a nice, either a bowl of soup or a sandwich, something not too heavy. Um, 
trip uh, trip to the deli, perhaps. A nice a nice lentil. <laughs> the beans are still nice and firm. Do do you like uh, a nice robust uh, savory soup for lunch? I do. I do. That's why I was kind of cringing. I like I like tomato based soups and vegetable based soups, and uh, I, I might say that tomato is one of my favorite. Flavor. So when you were saying that it tastes like pennies, I was like, "Ooh, I don't want a mouthful of pennies." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nobody does. But and then we you learned that about you. Tomato, I like a nice tomato soup with a grilled cheese and maybe some turkey or avocado in there, or maybe a grilled cheese with a nice fat slice of tomato. Mm. That yep. sounds delicious. See, yeah, that's it right there. Um, I think a lot of our a little bit of mayo. I think a lot of our comfort foods kind of end at the lunch counter, really. I mean, because by the time you get into dinner, that's where deals are closed. That's where that's where you're dating. That's where you're that's where you're being social. That's where the that's steaks where, are. You yeah, know? That's where mom is making yeah. me finish my plate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's why they invented dessert. That's your dinner comfort food, I and see. you got to earn it. Right. So I think it stops. Right. I, I don't. There's there's no comfort in dinner. Would you agree? Well, I don't know. I think dinner was also supposed to always be the social one. Yeah. Like, you more or less, you can eat your other two meals by yourself, but at dinner, you know, you gather around the hearth, and, you know, the elders have brought in a, a, a killed wild boar, and the whole village prepares it and, and yeah, not socializes. The, that's- that's the time when we, as a, the Lazinskis, as a family, sit down around the table, and whatever I have, and we talk about our day. And what happened that was good and bad, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. that's why you know, uh, you know, there's a there's a kind of a theme of a party to a good dinner, where yeah. you never talk about a lunch party. Hmm. Yeah, so it's like, oh, the Johnsons have invited us for a breakfast party. Yeah. <laughs> At brunch on the weekends, I... you have brunch where you're like, all right, on Sundays you can get together with other people to eat non-dinner food. Other yeah. than that, you're being weird. Or it's like Easter or something, you know, like some kind of crazy day holiday. Yeah. You know, like the, like the two big brunch days of the year, and I know this from the food service industry, are Easter and Mother's Mother, Day. Mother's got to be Mother's Day. Yeah. yeah. Mother's yep. Day, there's no brunches. <laughs> yeah, nobody cares. No. <laughs> no. If, if you're a brunch well, place, yeah. you're still doing it. But also, by the way, uh, big brunch uh, events like that, not going to happen for the foreseeable future. Nope. Another, you know, concession we have to make here in 2020, and perhaps, uh, you know, our progeny listening to this in 2075, uh, and brunch has come back. Savor it, enjoy it. But as long as we've got through the day, and we've had our we've had our nice filling lunch. We had I don't know about you, but I had about a third of a box of cereal already too. Okay. Doesn't mean we don't have some time and desire to go to that dinner party we're talking about. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And what'd you say? Dinner party? Whoa. What is that, Dan Shay, King of Segways? That's a that's a keen way to slide into this movie that we're also talking about. Uh, it's a horror movie. It uh, it is called the Dinner Party. There is a dinner party in it. There is eating in it. There is technically food in it. So I think that checks all the boxes here. Uh, now this is from uh, from our old friend Miles Doliak. We uh, we got to talk to him and a bunch of stars of uh, one of his projects back in I want to say 2015, 2016 called that The Hollow. Yeah, that was a good one. Well, he's he's back at it again 
Uh, Andy's letting us talk to letting us talk to him about this one, which is, uh, as I said, the dinner party. It's coming out June 9th on video on demand. Duh. Uh, it's a horror movie. Nice indie stuff. You know we love those here. Um, it's not comforting. I'll no, that. it is not comforting. It is, however, distracting. It is distracting. If you it's are the kind of mindset, and I think a lot of people have this ability, if something, it's like that old adage where if you've got a headache, uh, shoot your foot. <laughs> yeah. Headache gone. So if the world is giving you a headache, this is a good horror movie to shoot your foot with. In fact, I want to talk more about it, but I already did. Me and Jimmy both got to talk with Miles Doliak and his partner, Lindsay Ann Williams, uh, and Magic Interview Machine, why are you letting me go on and on? Let's get there. Meanwhile. Uh, all right, so uh, let's dive in here. Hey, everybody, thank you for uh, for joining us. We have got a full house here. It's me and Jimmy on our side, and we're talking to Miles Doliak uh, and, and his uh, partner, in, in life and crime and business, Lindsay Ann, uh, we are talking about The Dinner Party, which is coming out uh, June 5th, I believe, in select theaters. June 9th, you can then get it anywhere if you have some internet. Um, and uh, I, again, I don't, I'm trying not to spoil, but I think a, a, an easy synopsis that doesn't hurt anything is that uh, – a young playwright and his wife are invited to uh, to a dinner party with some upper class moneyed potential investors to get this uh, playwright's play up onto Broadway and start his uh, his life in art. And then the dinner goes very violently, painfully awry for them. So I <laughs> guess my first obvious question is: when you guys are starting a project like this. Uh, or any or any of your movies, do you always have to go to some kind of a cult murder party, or is that just theater? <laughs> well, that, that part is just theater, uh, Dan. But <laughs> you know, there were there were a lot of elements about this scenario that were attractive to me, and I should say, uh, this script or the, the sort of embryonic version of this script came to me. Uh, via uh, another of our producers, Jim Boolean, uh, and a writer named Michael Donovan Horn, who I thought had the kernel uh, of a really fascinating idea, and um, especially in the way it played with psychoanalysis and, and this notion that a lot of folks at our dinner party uh, have been victimized in some way, and as a coping mechanism, they have compartmentalized and and mustered that and turned around and become victimizers themselves. Um, and uh, we, we, we worked on the script. We polished it. Um, we, I, I felt at the time in those very early drafts that it, it was missing a little bit of narrative cohesion and through line, something to tie all the threads together. And so we created the character of Sadie, who, who Lynn's, of course, wound up playing in the film. And uh, it's hard to imagine the film uh, w- without her at this point. Oh, yeah. Um, if anything, I kind of thought at the end she was the colonel that the whole story came from. Well, it, it, well, it, well in, uh, I, in some ways, yes, I, I think that's true. You know, sometimes you just, in the creative process, in the writing process, 
you know, you're, you're, you're banging away at it, you're banging away at it, and then you just hit something that makes all of the dominoes fall into place and everything sort of makes sense. And for Michael and I, uh, that was Sadie, and we, w- we were, of course, graced with a, a wonderful actor to play the role in uh, my, my amazing significant other there. Uh, yeah, keep, keep buttering her up. <laughs> did Lindsay, did you read the script and you were like, there's something, the original first draft, and you're like, what's missing from this script, my, Miles? What, so, what is... <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, when, when the script first came to us, um, I hadn't read it, and I was like, all right, what am I going to play? <laughs> what, what is it for me? <laughs> and, um, and he's like, uh, nothing. I was like, what? What? Ooh. And and he's like, well, you're too old to play Haley, and I mean, oh, I don't know if you really want to be at. Well, no, it's true though, <laughs> and it's totally fine. Like I'm, I'm not weird like that. And um, and he's like, and I'm not sure if you're quite right to play Agatha either, and you know all of this stuff. And so we were just kind of, I was like, no, you know, I'm going to play a role in the movie. Don't worry, we'll figure it out. Like you know, I can be. I can look younger than I am, or I can just, you know, deal with being naked on TV and all that stuff, and it's fine. And and then by the time I finally got to read it, because um, of just some stuff that was going on, they'd already added the character of Sadie. And so I never really kind of got to put in my own little uh, note there, but he knew that I wanted to be in it, so... <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, well, that was. Well, I, I imagine you also have your say anyway. Uh, in fact, how how does it work? I hope I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, but when you're, you know, creative partners and you're married, how does like the casting process work? Does a does a disagreement on on a script revision or or a casting choice carry over? And have you ever regretted having either one of these relationships? Um, we have, every single time we make a movie together, it just gets better and better. We're really good at collaborating and we're really good at working together without bringing in our relationship for the most part, um, and Hmm. without bringing in too much ego. Um, so when we're working on something, we're currently working on three different projects between the two of us. And it's kind of like this constant conversation where we're just bouncing ideas off of each other all the time. And so with the writing, that becomes really important because we always know what the other one thinks, what the other one likes, and what they disagree with. And it kind of usually comes down to if you feel strongly about something and I don't, fine. Otherwise, you know, Miles is the um, final arbiter on that because it's his name that's on it as director and as writer. Um, When it comes to casting, I usually serve as the casting director for our films. Um, So I have a lot of say in the casting, especially because I'm a producer as well. But that's usually where we're really connected creatively. So we're usually on the same page anyways. Oh, you guys are inspiring. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's much less corny than it sounds. <laughs> uh, you know, and and look, there there have there have certainly been growing pains. Of course, I mean we've 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 been together for ten years now, and this is our uh, you know the fifth feature we've made together, four shorts, a, a whole bunch of pieces of theater. Um, 
but I mean, the fact of the matter is I just trust her creatively uh, more than I trust anybody else on the planet. And she has such a, a critical, meticulous eye, detailed eye, um, that it's that I, I absolutely welcome hearing what she has to say. Of course, when we have we have four producers on this, and so all of our producers typically weigh in to some degree or another on the casting process, and and maybe one producer gets really excited about a particular actor, and you know we you know we say okay let's let's since you're so impassioned about that particular actor let's let's go with it. So that you know there are those types of things. Um, so a lot of it, as Lynn says, has to do with how strongly do you feel about a certain issue, you know? And and we 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 really do pride ourselves on being incredibly collaborative and. That extends to our, our our VP and our Michael Williams on this one, and uh, our editor plays a huge role in the in the mm-hmm. work we do in film. Jared Hollingsworth, mm-hmm. um, because the fact of the matter is, you're not always going to be the smartest person in the room at at every given second, and it is quite possible that at some point somebody is going to have an idea that's better than your idea, and and I think the best directors, the best artists. Um, certainly in the in the in this vast collaborative sport that is film are willing to open their minds and open their ears and listen to the voices of the of that team around them and and you know that Lynn's and I are uh, have just developed this vernacular where it it just works it's just symbiotic we're just you know we're in sync we don't always agree um but we we make it work all right. Well, you know, I know you didn't ask me before, and I hadn't offered it yet, but uh, I hereby bless your union then. I think you guys are going to make a good team. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And also, I want to mention that whoever it was that found that uh, amazing mansion where basically the entire uh, movie is filmed in and kind of plays like a creepy background character itself, mm-hmm. they might have done the best job in the whole movie. Yeah, uh, Dan, Where Dan's kind find? of stepping on my question there. Where did you film that? What, what, what castle did you film that in? Uh, we shot this film at the home of Dr. and Mrs. Carr McLean uh, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Uh, the, the mansion was originally found by our sort of quasi-location manager, a dear friend of ours, uh, Mindy Bennett. And uh, the McLeans were just absolutely wonderful. We were able to work out a, an arrangement with them where basically we mm-hmm. took over their house for three weeks. And I mm-hmm. mean took over. I mean they basically oh, yeah. moved out, uh, which is so rare. I mean one of the things going into this project, one of my biggest concerns was how the hell are we going to find some rich people with a mansion that are going to allow us to – you know, beat each other up and throw each other around and fling blood all over the place and all the things that, you know, ultimately we we were planning to do. Yeah. And uh, knock on and wood, it, hopefully don't kill you during a dinner party. Right, right. And, you know, and we, we had, you know, we had the, we had a swimming pool scene and all these kinds of, so, so there were all these boxes that needed to be checked. And then, and, you know, we found this place and, and it was just perfect. And we just, uh, we just went to uh, Dr. and Mrs. McLean, and we we told them what we wanted to do, and they kind of got excited about the idea, and uh, and it went off famously. And th- no doubt, I mean, Jimmy, this house is uh, uh, a character in and of itself. It's so supremely important to the film, and mm-hmm. we remain exceedingly grateful to Dr. and Mrs. McLean for their indulgence. Yeah, they were really, really great. And in fact, one of their only requests. Uh, for us to use their house was uh, originally Carmine was written as a brain surgeon, but Carr is a cardiothoracic um, surgeon, so 
he asked that we change that character, and we That's did. Nice. <laughs> That's nice. And and don't pull on any uh, candelabras or anything next to bookshelves. No. <laughs> right. And, right. Unless they belong to us. Right. And was that a real Jackson Pollock that kept popping up? No, uh, no, no. That was a a reproduction. Um, we had it was a, a, it was a real Georgia Robles. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we had a wonderful production designer uh, in Julie Tosh, and her art director Georgia Robles is is something of the artist herself. And so a lot of the art that you see in the movie is Georgia's work, and that includes, say, the uh, the, the the book, the, the the book of prayer and spells in the in the altar room scene. Uh, she just did a really fantastic job. So mm-hmm. no, it is not a real Pollock, but it is a one hundred percent. Uh, legitimate Georgia Robles. Well, that's that's good <laughs> enough. Well, I, and you know, I notice art is popping up a lot. That seemed to be a driving theme. You know, both performance and you know, like the painting is figured a lot, and you see all kinds of artwork through the house. We get mm-hmm. a breakdown of Madame Butterfly. Uh, was this is is there some sort of indie filmmaking commentary on art going on here? Uh, well. I guess there's several things at play. I mean, we we took a very art historical pro- approach to the whole proceeding, and it's 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 visible in the in the design, the entire visual aesthetic of the film, the production design, costume design. Uh, we were inspired by the paintings of uh, Baroque painters, in particular, like uh, Caravaggio and Ribera. Um, and we we you know with the with the opera and that sort of stuff we. We allowed those. We really paid close attention to which particular operas our characters were infatuated by and with, and how those operas tied into their own psychosis or their own narrative journeys. Um, and I have to give a shout out to my good buddy and composer Clifton Hyde for also being a sort of our opera consultant in that way. So. Yeah, there, there, there certainly was a kind of art historical approach to the whole proceeding that that was very, very intentional, and um, I'm just really pleased with, with with the way that 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 element turned out, and that that's part mm-hmm. and parcel to the fact that we had a clear vision going in for what we wanted to accomplish, and everybody bought in, and and that starts with Michael Williams, our director of photography, and, and Julie, the production designer, and uh, Lens, who designed the costumes, and straight on down the line. It was it was visually stunning. I like the color palette and the and the lighting. It just reminded me of like, you know, Godfather three levels of this richness. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you. Uh, well, I'll to Coppola. I'll take. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about um, what may or may not be becoming a trope in uh, stories recently, like a, like a, the the aspect of the clash, uh, the the clash between the classes. Like yeah. uh, in movies like Ready or Not or The Hunt or something that you're kind of close to, The Purge, um, you know, we definitely see uh, a, a, almost a war brewing, right? And an obvious right. divide between the two classes. Can you speak about the inspiration for your story for that? Yeah, well, I um, I didn't see either one of those films. I, I have gotten uh, – we've gotten a lot of comparisons to Ready or Not. Um, at, so I guess I need to check it out. Um, right. But, um, but, uh, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, as a, as, as an artist and, and as a human being, I, I, 
feel, a, I don't know, a certain social responsibility to hold up the mirror to nature. And I think that uh, this, there is a, a gulf uh, between the haves and the have-nots in our country and, and, and in a lot of places. And, and that, of course, has been exposed by, uh, by COVID and, and current, current events that we are uh, exposed to a greater extent. I mean, I think a lot of people recognized it was there by, by the pandemic and, and other events that our society is currently wrestling with and trying to get our heads around. So, so uh, yes, I, I, that, was, that was certainly intentional. We, we wanted to speak to that idea that, you know, uh, the, these people that, you know, Carmine Bill Sage's character says at one point, uh, we are the untouchable elite. And uh, we wanted to kind of ask our audience this question of, you know, what, what do you think the elites can really get away with? Can they really get away with murder? Uh, can, they, can they get away with, you know, remaking the historical narrative or, or calling the truth not the truth or whatever it might be? I mean, the, the, you know, the fact of the matter is there, there, there are a lot of very, very powerful folks, not only in our country but in the world, who are just – they just are judged by different standards and uh, – and, they get a, they get away with a lot of stuff that they probably shouldn't be getting away with, and and you know that's not to say that everyone who is who has money or, or means or resources who's rich is is a bad person. I don't mean that by any stretch of the imagination, but you know some of them let you use their mansion to film a movie. Yeah, that's right, right, that's right, yeah. that's right. Right, Dr. Carr and Mrs. McLean have, you know, in my experience, are wonderful people. So thank you know, but mm-hmm. uh, the point is, in you know. Artists, you know, are hopefully, in addition to entertaining and taking the audience on a journey, are maybe prodding and penetrating and, and poking a little bit um, at, at, you know, where we are and where we've been and where we might be going. Um, and I think this this class war issue or class divide. I mean, I, I hate to use a term as strong as war, but class That's divide. <laughs> yeah, um, is a major issue that we you know, as, as citizens of the United States need to be thinking about, and as artists, we need to be thinking about. So, yeah. yeah. I, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot as far as recent events or anything like that, because I, I came up with this question a couple of days ago before any of this happened. So I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I apologize for making you tiptoe around that, but thank you. Not, not at all. Not at all. No problem at all. All right. Well, then uh, we tried to trick you into getting political, and you handled it well. So I guess you're <laughs> off the hook on this one. Yeah. Uh, let's see now. Now, as we wind down, uh, I do. Is on, and you brought it up. I'm just curious. Like, is there a sweet spot for letting out a movie on video on demand right now with this whole pandemic? It's starting to lift, but I don't think there's theaters out there. But people are no, spending more I, and, time outside. Do you think what if it just trying to make lemonade out of lemons? When would you think the perfect time to put a a, a movie out on VOD right now would be? Yeah, I mean, no doubt it's a complicated dance right now. And and we had originally, I think you said at the top, you know, we were we were going to have a theatrical release on June fifth, and that is not happening because of the pandemic. Um, and that's a shame because this oh, is a movie. Oh, it's not that even going to make it to some drive-ins. That would be such a good drive-in movie. Well, oh, yeah. it would be a, it would be a good drive-in movie, but drive drive-ins are on to the fact that they're the only theatrical game in town, and their rates right now are at least you know from what we've explored are, are 
kind of skyrocketing. So oh, yeah, it's okay, very hard to that. do to do dragons yeah. right now because there's such a hot ticket. Um, so yeah, it's it's completely out of out of the question for our and, and uh, little indie. That's an interesting. And good note. for them. I would I would love to see the return of drive-in movies. Good for them, but. You know, we are a small independent production company, and, and, and you know, we have limited means. But, um, you know what, I think it's on June 9th, this, this thing is going to come out. Um, I think maybe we have, we have reached a point uh, in the pandemic with people at home and consuming a lot of uh, content. Um, my hope is, I mean, this is the, you know, the glass half full approach is, Maybe they need some new content. They've seen all the Marvel movies in chronological oh, yeah. order, like, oh, like yeah. we have. Oh, yeah. um, they've been <laughs> they've through the James everything Bond on Prime. series. They've yes, watched exactly. everything on Amazon Prime. I finished HBO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they've consumed all three seasons of Ozark. So now, you know, uh, maybe they need something new. And that's, I think that's the way we have to think about it. And I, you know, I often say uh, in discussing this issue that uh, one of the things that COVID has done in terms of film distribution is to level the playing field because the studios are have the same problem mm-hmm. you, you see yeah. all these you know big studio movies that are based, basically going straight to the streaming cable vod world right yeah but a lot more so, money yeah yeah so, they, they have um, a bigger box of band-aids but right. uh, yeah, right. everyone's bleeding the same way <laughs> exactly exactly so uh, we are just encouraging people to go out that first week, you know, when the, the thing releases on June 9 and go to Amazon or go to iTunes or Google Play or Cable VOD or Fandango Now, whatever your preferred streaming platform is. Um, we're not on Netflix, by the way, but that, that's the only one for now that I know of. Uh, and, and watch our movie that first week and maybe go somewhere. And if you liked it, go somewhere and leave a short review because user reviews really, really matter to independent filmmakers. Um, because the, the haters and the trolls are going to go on IMDb and Amazon and iTunes and trash your movies. So it's, it's always nice when somebody who liked it or was moved by it or transported even, you know, mm-hmm. for a couple of hours, taken away from the horrific events in the outside world, and that meant something to them. Uh, we just say take a few minutes and, and go on one of these platforms and say something nice about our movie. Amen. It's it's Very nice. uh, that's it's the community aspect that I love about independent mm-hmm. filmmaking. And uh, everybody, I'm giving this my review right here in your damn ears. Go go catch it. Well, I guess go catch it's the wrong word. Stay at home and catch it. <laughs> June 9th. Be on your couch. Uh, June 9th. First week especially would really be good. And I know you don't have that mm-hmm. much left you haven't seen. So please do that. <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. Uh, anything I, else? Uh, any, anything else you want to hold their feet to the fire about, Jimmy? Yeah, I got a couple. I got one off-topic question for both Lindsay and Miles. Um, uh, the the name of the show is Saturday Morning Serial, and it it kind of calls back to when Dan and I were young lads, and we'd have to get up early on Saturday morning and pour a big bowl of cereal so and fight for a spot on the couch so we could watch our favorite Saturday morning cartoon. So I want to know, uh, Lindsay and Miles, what is your favorite Saturday morning cereal? Captain Crunch one. with no berries. Ooh, so like good. straight Captain purist. Crunch. Ooh. Or Cinnamon Life. I've got a big um. box of that right now. <laughs> uh, How about for you, Miles? Uh, I think you know I was I was really never a big cereal guy, but I think if pressed, uh, you know, when I was a young kid, I was really into Fruit Loops. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then I graduated to to Frosted Flakes, 
and then I, I maybe graduated up one more time to Honey Nut Cheerios because, mm. you know, I don't know. I, I thought they were healthier or something. They're probably not. Um, oh, that's how I got to Cinnamon Life. Right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. What are you telling me? So, so what are those? What I mean, what are those three? Maybe, well, maybe, maybe, maybe if I get it'd be frosted flakes, maybe right down the middle. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you said that because I have one more request before I let you go. If you could give me the iconic frosted flakes, uh, that they're great in Vincent's voice from the dinner party, I would love that. <laughs> Come on, let me hear it. That's like candy. Let, let me muster that. Okay. <laughs> They're great. Ooh. <laughs> Very great. <laughs> nice. Not not as spooky as, as I was expecting, but I definitely want I mean, to see more. I could now. do more like they're great. All right, everybody. Uh, everybody, Lindsay Ann Williams, Miles Doliak. Uh, I think it's the second time we've talked to you over the years, and I can't wait for the yeah. third time. So keep going to those parties and getting that funding, please. <laughs> Thank you very much, gentlemen. There's my pack of dogs going going nuts. Well, right there. That's just Thank you, guys. Audience laughter. I love Have it. Have a great day. Stay safe. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye, Bye, guys. Thanks so much. You two want to take a horsey ride? Uh-oh, sure, but first we'll start with a complete breakfast, including my vitamin pack Frosted Flakes. They bring out the tiger in you. We'll see how good you are. Frosted Flakes good? They're, They're good. Right. Show them you're a tiger. Show them what you can do. Go, tiger. Oh, okay. Well, now, can I go back and change my serial answer? Especially oh, after Miles Doliak's on the train, and then I totally remember. I, I forgot it was so, so sellout to pick Frosted Flakes. Why? They I mean, everybody the loves them, but is that really? I mean, that's so corporate monolith, actually. Now so that, you know what? Toast. I do remember when G.I. Joe had their short run of a cereal. Yeah. It was like super fluffy, lightweight Captain Crunch. That's my that's my new favorite. That's my go to, even though it only existed for about two years. There's no go backs. Damn it! All right, frosted flakes. Party, They're great. <laughs> yeah, I would never. Don't ever be ashamed of your cereal choices. No, I mean I would Unless still get like, it, but now it just I feel like such a sellout saying it. Like, oh, that's my go to. I think it's great. It's also uh, it's a cereal that's it's not bad when you find its generic counterpart as well. It's usually pretty close. Yeah, you know, mine, like mine, fruity pebbles. When you get a generic fruity pebbles, it's not anywhere. It's it's fifty percent of quality. Mm. It's it's really hard to nail it. So, what I'm saying All right. is, I'll, special... I'll take solace in that. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, great interview, eh? I wish I was there. Yeah. You guys that was a good one. One for the books. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh and uh and what broke my heart, you probably heard it at the end when uh when he said, No, it's not gonna be out in any theaters. That was that was old copy. First of all, I hate being given old copy. Marky, you're on notice. Second uh, uh I was like, Well then what about drive ins? Because you're reading about them these days. They're doing gangbuster business. I know there's not a hell of a lot of them out there, but then they're like, yeah, they, they're they the only game in town. They're calling the shots. 
That was one of the more interesting parts of that conversation for me. I mean, I really like talking to him about the movie and, and all that stuff, but that was kind of very interesting about how the, the drive-ins are the only game in town and they know it and they're, and they're gutting them everybody. So they, it's hard for them to get some space there. Yeah. And I guess <laughs> it's the, easy the for us guys. to talk about it here in San Diego. Cause we have uh, at least two actual built structural infrastructure you know, we, yeah, there's, theaters. there's two that's within striking distance of us. Yeah. yeah. The other parts of the country, to my knowledge, I know there's been a little bit of a renaissance the last few years, but still I'm sure it's not worth the real estate most places. So I know they're nowhere near as popular as they were when we were growing up. So, well, you know, kind of fun fact, like Dan Supertongue, uh, my first job as a young lad of 15 and a half was working at a drive-in. Uh, the town that I grew up in had two drive-ins. And my father was a police officer, so he knew the guys that ran the drive-in and got, got me a job there. So that's kind of my three summers of high school. That's all That's all I did, watch movies all, all night, five nights a week, watch movies. Pretty. That's that. I'm pretty sure that's what makes why I like movies so much. Well, that that's awesome. But wait a minute, what, what's the connection between your father being a police officer and having so much sway at the drive-in? They don't, don't go on anything. there. I don't. I don't understand this well, relationship. He, I, I, well, he got me the job, so I guess he knew. He knew uh, the guys that ran the drive, the two drive-ins, like, because he got his cut. That's that's how. That's how it yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, exactly. He'd be like, "Oh, it'd be a shame if a bunch of kids came in here and burned down your snack bar, and <laughs> nobody answered nine one one, wouldn't it, Murray?" <laughs> oh, by the way, my son's looking for a little job. Maybe he gives maybe you a call. Maybe you could uh, find a, a little space for him here, is eh? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe when his parole officer comes by, you say, oh, I just had to send him to the other location. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so drive-ins are very near and dear to my heart. And even though they're not the best way to watch a movie, they're one of my favorite ways to watch and enjoy a movie. We had two of them in Albuquerque when I was growing up. Um, one of them was by my grandma's house, and it was just one screen. Uh, coincidentally, now it's a police station there, um, which is kind of funny. The plot but, thickens. Yeah, but um, I could see the connection now. <laughs> but there was uh, that's the one that we would go to a lot. And that one closed, that one probably shut its doors like very early 90s. If not, it was still in the 80s when that one closed down. And then um, the other one was like a big, that's where they ended up putting that Century 21 at, Shay. That was, that was all drive-in. Oh, yeah. By the time I had a car, that was the only drive-in there. Right. But you're and obviously forgetting about the West Side drive-in. I we didn't go to the West Side because we couldn't afford it. Well, that's where all the rich. We couldn't live. afford to leave the West Side, so I had from up on our roof. Actually, you could see it. It was right on the other side of a uh, course for all of you keeping track of the streets. Uh, and <laughs> uh, and it was it, for like, all you I, hometown listeners. <laughs> so you know, I mean, I was a, I was a young kid, so my eyesight was pretty good. So you could see like famous people's faces on the screen. There was no oh, wow. chance you could hear it. Uh, but every now and then in the summer, I remember we'd go up on the roof and kind of try and watch a movie a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, that, I think, closed down very – well, I don't know how long it was open, but, I mean, I couldn't have been more than a maybe eight or so by the time it was shut down. Well, and now all of these drive-ins, it's all where you turn your car radio on and you could hear the movie. 
when I was a kid, like it was still like the, they had those like little yeah, the little sound speakers boxes that you'd hang on your, you on your hang door. On, yeah. And I remember those at the first place, but also at like the larger one. And when, when we were in high school, uh, a friend of ours had like a Toyota minivan and we would all pile in there. Cause it was like, they, they would have like a special, it was like $5 for the car. So whoever was in the car could like come in and we would take the, the back seat out of the van and put it outside and everyone was there and we're hanging out. And I, um, one of my memories there is Forrest Gump. I remember watching Forrest Gump. It was like oh, 1994. Yeah. I saw that at the, at the same yeah. drive-in. Yeah. yeah. 94 was a big year for drive-in movies for us teenagers. And it was, yeah, it was, it was great. It was a really great time. Um, uh, the other the other memory that like really sticks out was uh, I had a, it was, she was my first high school girlfriend. Here we go. And uh, I had, we what wanted to wearing? go. Yeah. Wanted I got to, my finger on the bleep button. <laughs> we wanted to go to the drive-in. And so we stopped at my grandma's house, which was on the way there. And we were just getting some pillows and some blankets. Right. Like you grandma. Do. And I had a truck, and so it was for the, to lay in the back of the truck. And I didn't; it didn't really occur to me what that might look like. Um, and I remember my grandmother being a little hesitant about it. And then she ends up going into the linen closet, and she has a stack of blankets and a pillow. And she, as she's handing them over to me, she starts basically crying. And she says, please don't you get that girl in trouble. Please don't you do anything stupid. And she hands them to me crying so that I don't do you turn this lady a Guadalupe blanket upside down when you do it, mijo. (laughs) Was there any any rubbers in there with the blankets? Yeah, it was nothing like that. And um, uh, me and that particular high school girlfriend never actually went all the way. And I think it was because of that traumatic event. I didn't want want to let my grandma down. Um, like, like you're just on, <laughs> you're just on top of her, ready to penetrate, and all you can hear is your grandma. Don't get back don't there, don't trouble. Don't <laughs> trouble. What's wrong? What's wrong? Nothing. 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 Turn up the radio. Turn up the radio. Never forget that. Anyway. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm. I'm. I, and uh, there's been another installment of Marky's Grandma's Cock Blocks. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, Olive Garden, 1996. There is an Olive Garden. Uh, yeah, there is an Olive Garden. <laughs> Save it for the next one there, buddy. <laughs> All right, I want to hear. Yes, I, I, so, yes, Jimmy worked at the drive-in. Marky got uh, almost some girl in trouble at the drive-in. Uh, I personally loved the drive-in through the 90s, had a car. Uh, there was no better place for, you know, $9 you could drop some acid, watch four movies in a row, and then get home sober. So uh, there's not a lot of places like drive-ins. If you've got one near you, uh, you'll probably have to compete for space now. But it's worth it. It's a great experience. You bring your own food if you want. Don't be a dick about it. It's nice to go get a soda at uh, at at the snack bar or something. Give them something. It's the next best thing to just uh, pirating movies at home. <laughs> yeah, I I've loved the experience of going to drive-ins, and it was something that I really missed because uh, 
being in uh, Albuquerque, they had they basically knocked down all of the big screens for that big drive-in, and it was probably like seven or eight screens. It was a huge yeah, lot, but I, I think eight yeah. at least. Yeah, eight. Yeah, and so they ended up knocking that down, and it was the first time that Albuquerque got like a like the multiplex, and it was a yeah. Century Twenty One, and. It was great to see that theater. I mean, we were all really happy at the time to get that kind of level with stadium seating and everything was THX and, you know, it was it was a really great theater. I was but, sad about the drive-in, but uh, Yeah, we were yeah. sad about the drive-in. It's, and it's I didn't really know. Yeah, I didn't know how much I really missed it until I moved to San Diego and we got to go to the, you know, we get to go to this drive-in and it's I I love those 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 experiences. It's not always about the movie. As a matter of fact, it's it's really better if it's not about the movie. <laughs> you know, like it's it should be about the about the company, about the event itself. That's what a drive-in's all about. Yes. Movie secondly, you know, secondly. Fair call, fair call. And uh well, I haven't yeah, been I going agree. to drive-in. It's not the I was I'm sorry to interrupt, Dan, but that's like I was saying, that's not my the best way to see a movie by by a long shot. Right. You know, because often like we go to the one closer to the border. I think it's called South Bay Drive-In here in San Diego. Yep, down in Coronado Bay, best one in San Diego. Local reference. Uh, But, you know, so sometimes uh, maybe it's not as bright as it could be or there's uh, a lot of ambient light. Yeah, or there's people got are dicking around in the car next to you. But it's still um, so it's not the best way to enjoy a movie, but it's my favorite way to enjoy a movie because i've got like you said i we take the jeep we back it in open it up we're laying in the back we got the top down uh we got the lawn chairs out there we got a little cooler with whatever we're drinking you know sometimes we'll stop and get a some in and out burgers or whatever it's just a really nice uh yeah, for me and, yeah it's a nice family night yeah, and there's yeah. there's lots of movies that are just kind of better made for the drive-in such as yeah. I think the dinner party would be a great one. A horror movie is great for the drive-in because yeah. you don't feel quite. You like you can look around. You're in your car. You're safe. Maybe that helps you. Uh, and because I often eat dinner at the drive-in. Yes. Yeah. That's a, let's tie it to food. Dinner party. Bam, we're there. Uh, there's also the when I first found out San Diego had drive-ins was like 2000 six or seven or whenever uh, Grindhouse came out. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's a drive-in. We should go see it at the drive-in. I said, what? Picked up a couple large pizzas, uh, the white sauce for me. Went went and watched both parts down at the drive-in. They had an intermission in between them so you could uh, even get up and stretch your legs. Great example. Uh, A couple years later, Marquee. I know we've even talked about it on the show when we set up the G.I. Joe Transformers. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. When they were yeah. doing those back-to-back-to-back-to-back, because when you go to the drive-in, you get, like, three or four movies. Yeah. So, yeah. We yeah, got... that was cool. Like, we we like we had this chance to recreate after-school TV, but it was, these, it was the uh, third Transformers movie and I think the first G.I. Joe movie. They yes. were on a second or third time. Transformers, yeah. followed directly by G.I. Joe. We said, that's a lineup you can't miss. But yeah. this time, we're going to drive our own cars. We're going to bring hard liquor. <laughs> going to bring grown-up food. <laughs> yeah. I had a grilled cheese. <laughs> yeah. It was great. I, that was a, That's one of the best experiences of all time is that one. It and, you made know, both those movies palatable. 
Absolutely. They're not great movies, but that was a great experience. And it's again, it's not about the movie when you're at a drive in. Uh, that's why we love it so much. All right. Uh, well, boy, I'm glad we got to talk about that because drive-ins are like a comfort food for a few of the other senses. That was tricky. I shouldn't have gone for that one. But try again. Try they again. Don't no, all work. Back it up. They back don't it up. all work. We'll I'm we'll still going to swing post. for the go again. No, go again. Go again. Go again. <laughs> all right. Comfort let me see. For movies. <clears throat> drive-ins when you can't keep it home. No, there's something there. Uh, you guys, go ahead. Give it a shot. Drive-ins when you have to introduce yourself to your neighbors. Ooh, I've actually been using that uh, tagline for uh, rolling blackouts. Okay. You go, Mark. Oh, I I, I don't know. Oh, well, then I would say. For when How about drive-in, drive-out, I'm leaving. <laughs> How about, Fabulous. You know what? How about just uh, drive-ins? That's enough of this. Thank you for thank you, Miles Miles Doliak. Yes, thank you to Miles Doliak. Thank you to uh, Lindsay yeah, Ann oh, Williams. Yeah. Uh, June ninth, you're going to be able to catch uh, that on VOD, basically anywhere but but Netflix because you can't rent movies from Netflix, idiot. Yep, and uh, anywhere but a movie theater. They're, they're you're going to like it. Watch it the first week. It's a good watch. Yeah, you've seen everything else, and that's not the reason you should watch it. But there's some fabulous cinematography. There's some pretty good writing. There's some pretty good acting, and by pretty good, I mean fabulous. Yeah, it's 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 if you're looking for a horror movie, woo. The cinematography, even though we did talk to the writer, director, and a couple actors, the cinematography (laughs) for me. I'm sorry, it struck me. I had to bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys. This Any chance we know that guy that did that? We could <laughs> get him on the floor. <laughs> There's always next time, but I do want to reiterate that's enough of this. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Oh, this is enough of this. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.